Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Welcome back uh, to the For Everyone series. We're now going to continue what we've been talking about last time um, in Matthew 24 by moving on to Matthew 25, where Jesus continues his teaching by then reinforcing it with some parables, because that's the way good rabbi teaches uh, with parables. And if you've uh, listened to me talk about parables before, you kind of know that I have this approach I like to take that's known as pardes. Uh, And the reason I like to take that approach is because that's kind of like the primary way that rabbis in Jesus' day taught, is they used parables and then they expected their disciples to be able to go through that process of pardes to find all the things that they were trying to teach the disciples. So quick reminder on pardes, we've got the P stands for Peshat, which is kind of your service level stuff that you get from the story that is told. Um, the, the rabbi will just kind of use the story as an illustration for lots of things that are going on and kind of make those points very good teachable points and when you think back through it you'll learn all that on the Peshat level. Moving to the next letter because uh, it's consonants that matter in the uh, the Hebrew language we've got the R in Pardes which is Remes. Uh, Remes is essentially a reference to the text uh, to the and what we call the Old Testament. Uh, The reason that rabbis do this is because the way that they teach primarily, the thing that they want to be teaching to their disciples is how to, to interpret, how to use the text, how to, how to live out the scriptures. And everything is centered, especially in this time in Judaism, around the scriptures. And so they always want their disciples to be thinking about scripture. And so everything that Jesus says is in some way pointing back to scripture. It's the way he teaches, the fundamental thing about him. So you go to Ramez to find their link to the to the Old Testament scripture, think through that story and some of the things that are going around and whatever's happening in that book of prophecy or um, selection from the Torah or, you know, the writings, whatever it is that you're looking through in the the Old Testament scriptures. From that, as you dig more into the Old Testament story and see how it links to, and it'll never violate the Bashat teachings, it doesn't violate anything that the rabbi has taught before, it's meant to enhance it and give it more color and depth and really cool stuff, blow your mind kind of stuff. Um, when you get that remez from it, you you get to your darash, which the darash is your application, essentially. Um, okay, now that I know all these things, now that I've seen the depth and the added color that my rabbi wanted me to see, what do I do with this? And, and so that's kind of the process we're going to try to really quickly go through on three parables that Jesus tells in this. And because um, of just how rich the language is, and because I did so much reading of text last time, I'm going to also read a bunch of text this time, because I think it'll be really good for us to hear these parables. So this is Matthew 25. We're going to do all the verses of Matthew 25. Verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Cultural thing, this is kind of what they do. They wait for the groom to come back into town because what he's supposed to be doing in order to prepare a place for his bride is building onto his father's house. It's the standard practice back then. They'd spend at least a year living in that house before maybe establishing their own home or just 
taking over the family business because that's what a firstborn son is supposed to do. But anyway, he's been away building the house for however long until it's acceptable, and then he rides back into town to pick up his bride. And so that's what these uh, ten virgins, ten bridesmaids have been waiting for. Verse 2, five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them, which is how you would burn an oil-burning lamp. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And no, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the ones also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So we continue on that very theme that we just kind of ended in the last chapter, not knowing the day or the hour. You need to be prepared. Who is going to be ready when God shows up, when Jesus shows up? That's more or less your Peshat there. We'll get into the Ramez. Uh, we'll kind of tackle all three at the same time and see what happens with that. Parable number two, that of the, um, according to the NIV, her bags of gold, sometimes described as the parable of the talents. Verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so you have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Forever, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we have uh, a master who is leaving his servants in charge of things. He's giving them bags of gold according to their ability. Is the word there uh, something that the disciples would have picked up on because of their Judaism and the way that the Jews would use numbers, especially in scripture and in text? Numbers refer to things. So five bags of gold, the number five generally refers to the books of Torah, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, this is a way of saying that the ability that these people have is a deep knowledge of the text. 
if we're going and extending this metaphor, which I think Jesus would have wanted his disciples to do, the two bags of gold that's received, the two talents, um, two is a number that almost always represents the two tablets of Moses. Um, uh, shorthand way of saying that would be the law. And so these are people that have just a basic knowledge of the text. They maybe don't know all of Torah, they don't all have it memorized, but at least they know the Ten Commandments. And they know the kind of basic commands that God wants them to live, and they try to live those out. So those are people, their ability is having that basic knowledge of God. And then the person with one, one always represents God. And so maybe the only thing that they have, according to their ability, is a simple knowledge of God. But whatever you have, you can use it. If you have a great deep knowledge of Scripture, you can use that, and, and you can gain even more knowledge of Scripture, and you, and you can use that to, to serve your, your master. If, if you just have a basic understanding of Scripture, you can use that. You can use that basic knowledge of the text and, and work with it and, and, and gain maybe a better knowledge of the text, maybe help people to have a, themselves a, a better knowledge of the text. Um, use your talents, use what you have. And if you only have God, if you don't know any scripture, if you don't know anything else about God besides the fact that he loves you, you can use that. And you can share with people about the love of God and you can tell them how much he's done in your life and, and all that you really know is, is that he loves you. And then you can also invest and take more time to get to know God better and more of his character and more of what he's doing in this world and, and all of those things. There's, there's always more that we can learn. But wherever you're at right now, whatever your abilities are, there's more that you can do to grow that to serve your master. I think that's kind of the Peshat level of the parable. But maybe there's some more things going on too. The next one is the sheep and the goats, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the Lord will uh, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sicker in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly, I tell you. Whatever you did not do, do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So here we have Je Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. And a reminder, uh, shepherds in ancient time would have had flocks that were filled with both sheep and goats. You didn't have like goat herders and shepherds, sheep herders, um, 
as as like their own unique distinct traits if you were a shepherd you had goats and you had sheep and part of the reason you would have no problem having those together is because when you went to go graze them there was different parts of the grass that they would eat because goats kind of eat everything and sheep like their specific tufts of grass and so there really wasn't any concern for competition for food which would be the biggest deal when you're shepherding animals in the desert food's pretty important but the thing about the sheep and the goats that are different is that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they follow the shepherd's voice and they listen to the shepherd's voice. It's one of the enduring characteristics of sheep. They know their shepherd's voice and they will follow it. And goats kind of wander around willy-nilly and do whatever the heck they want to because they're goats. And so that's kind of why he's assigned these metaphors where the sheep are the righteous and the, and the goats are the wicked. And the thing about it is it never says that these are not members of the same flock, that these are not part of the same group here, that there were people who were following around their shepherd. They're still part of things together, the sheep and the goats. The thing that separates them is how they treat people. It's that reminder, again, as we talked about last time, if you want to be prepared for whatever is coming, whenever it's coming, since you don't know when it's going to be coming, what you need to be doing is caring for people. Feeding people, giving them something to drink, visiting them in prison, giving them clothing, inviting them in who are strangers, who are outsiders, who are foreigners, visiting them in prison, these are the kind of things we need to be doing to be prepared. And these are the kind of things that show that we know our shepherd's voice. Because this is what he's telling us to do. This is what he's calling us to do. Know and recognize his voice and care about people. There's a lot about these parables that are pretty similar where there's people who are being left out. There's the five wicked or foolish or however they're described, virgins who don't have the proper oil, they're not prepared, and so when the groom comes, they miss out on the party and they're outside. You've got the servant who only had one talent, who only had one bag of gold and decided to just bury it in the ground and not do anything with it. Again, he's not wicked because he has less talent, because he only has the one thing. That's just saying what his ability was. He's wicked because he didn't do anything with it. And he buried it instead of using it for his master. And he's thrown outside into the darkness. And then the sheep and the goats, and when it says the goats are separated, it's because they didn't care for people. Because they didn't do anything for the Lord. Because they didn't recognize that when they did things for people, they were serving the Lord. It says they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous will go away to eternal life. So we've got those three parables. We've kind of analyzed them now on the Peshat level to see what's happening. What's going to, you know, it, are you going to be ready when the, when the groom comes? These, these are the kind of questions that come up. Uh, will, will we be able to give an account of how we've used what was given to us? Are we able to say, yes, I, I took your five bags of gold and I worked hard and I earned five more. I used my ability. I used my talent. Well, we know what God is looking for, that he wants us to care for those who are in need. Those are the kind of things that we need to be asking out of this. 
And, and so what we do when we go to find remezes is we try to find places where something sticks out, maybe like a sore thumb, or where there's like extra information that's given, some extra details and some of those kind of things. And, and so we comb through and we dig through these parables and we try to find those places where those things show up. Um, what I want to do, though, is just kind of draw us into where I believe those remezes go. Um, and again, I, I wish I was an awesome biblical scholar who could immediately find these things and figure them out. Um, the few times I've found remezes, it's taken me a whole lot of work. The reason I have these and all three of these uh, is because of my... the. Um, it's because of the, the Baymal podcast that I listen to and Marty Solomon and his teaching. And these are the remezes that he's found. And, and to me, they make a lot of sense and tie a lot of things together. And, and so I, I trust what Marty is saying and I trust what Scripture says. And, and I trust that uh, I believe this is what Jesus wants us to find from these passages. And so the remez for the parable of the, of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, I, I think is drawing us to Jeremiah 25 and jeremiah 25 talks about how king nebuchadnezzar was actually appointed by god to come in and to essentially be the judgment be god's judgment on jerusalem and he carries the people away and takes them into exile and this is how the the babylonian exile first begins it's with king nebuchadnezzar coming in and so Jerusalem, Israel, is, is destroyed by a foreign king, a foreign oppressor comes in. And right away, I think this should have something to say to the disciples because they're living under a foreign government and, and oppression from Rome. And the thing is, in AD 70, Rome is what destroys the temple. Rome is what causes this destruction and so I think your application for this is God used Nebuchadnezzar to do this. Why would he not use Rome to do this as well? You need to be prepared. One of the things that I forgot to mention last time is that like, it seems like Jesus is doing this crazy prophetic thing. Like even if he's just talking about the destruction of the temple, which happens, you know, 30 some years after his death. Like how does he manage to know that this is all going to happen? I think it's because he looked at the world around him and he looked at the systems that have been put in place and the corruption of the priesthood and, and all the ways that all of these groups were wanting revolution and wanting bloodshed and wanting all these things to occur. That He said, this can't stand up for too much longer, guys. It's probably only going to be a generation and we're going to see all these systems fall. This is all collapsing. This is all crumbling from within and from without. And Rome isn't going to stand for it. They're too powerful. And God can work through powerful, oppressive people to bring his destruction, to help his people wake up to do what they're supposed to. Because the thing about Jeremiah and all those other prophets, they, they pointed out that the reason when destruction comes, it's because God's people stop acting like God's people and start acting like the people who oppress people they start taking advantage of people like the priests were in jesus time where they start charging extra expenses for them to to change their money at the temple which is why jesus flipped over a bunch of tables at the temple and and they stop looking about or caring about what 
what they do to people like the Pharisees who were doing a really good job of following God's commands and following his word and yet they missed out about the part where they're supposed to care for God's people. And that's what the woes were all about in, in chapter 23. And so you have all of these systems and all these things that Jesus can see around him. And he knows it's broken. And he knows it's on a path to destruction. And so he tells his disciples, guys, this is coming. I don't know when, but it's coming soon. Be ready. And how should you be ready? You should take care of God's people. And that's the thing, again, about this text, about all these teachings, that even though I believe they're about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, they still definitely apply today. Because there's a lot about our world today that is broken. There's a lot of systems that need fixing. And they need to be fixed by us being examples in how to care for people. That's what God has commanded and asked us to do. To be the right kind of shepherds for his people. To lead them forward, and not just with morality and all of the right things that they should be doing, but to make sure that we're showing them what God's love looks like in an active way. Because not only is that how people listen and follow, but that's also how God says we should have been doing it all along. And so if we're not doing it that way, then we're not following God. And we're going to be left out in the cold to like all the wicked people in these parables. Went on a bit of a rabbit trail, but I realized I forgot to mention that last time, and I really wanted to mention it. We've also got a remez to the to the story of the talents, and that comes from Second Kings, twenty two, and it's it's essentially talking about when they discover the book of law of the law, uh, King Hezekiah. They're doing some ex- excavation work in the temple, and they've lost like God's word, which is crazy to think about. But then it's found. Um, but the, one of the things that's talked about within that text is the idea of these these builders and the priests, all the people that are kind of in charge of the renovations that are happening in the temple. It says, give give to those people from the temple treasuries and, and we're, we'll trust that you're doing what you're supposed to do because we've seen your character and we know what kind of people you are. And so you don't even have to worry about giving an accounting back to us because we trust you. Go spend this money as you're supposed to. And that's, I think, the application for that is to be those kind of people. Because the priesthood stopped being that in Jesus' time. They were corrupt. They couldn't be trusted with anything, especially, you know, the gold from the temple. Because they would use it to their own advantage. They'd even swear oaths on it that then, like, had more meaning because they cared more about the gold in the temple than about the temple itself. And so they weren't trustworthy. They had, and they would need to give an account. And Jesus is saying, be such people of such integrity, of such character, that no one is even worried about giving you an account. Like, you know, there's all the saying about having to give an account to God, and and I, I believe that's a thing. But he's saying, be such a trustworthy person that that God will know your heart, and your heart will shine through, and and you won't need to worry about having to give an accounting because you will know. That you've served God well and you were trustworthy with all that was given to you. And then the sheep and the goats. I think we can go to Ezekiel 34. Um, Ezekiel really loves shepherd metaphors. So it's a good place to look if you're looking at any kind of shepherd things. But Ezekiel 34 um, specifically talks about a condemnation of the priests. That they've failed in shepherding God's people. And being the caretakers over the flock. 
And so I think that ties together um, with the idea of the sheep and the goats and shepherds and those kind of things. And so the, the drosh from that is, is that <clears throat> um, sorry, I was looking at the wrong place on my notes, so I'll probably cut that too. The drosh for that is that this isn't a new parable. This is something that's happened before and been talked about before, and you've seen it in Ezekiel 34, talking about sheep and goats and shepherds and those kind of things, and that God will judge you by how you've treated others. That that's the most important thing. God cares about you taking care of people. It's all about people. Jesus has been saying it since the Sermon on the Mount. This is all about people. And that's where a lot of these systems that the world has constructed and that even the priests have constructed have fallen short. It, it's where all the commandments and laws that the Pharisees have talked about have fallen short because they've forgotten about people. Instead of caring for people, they've only brought them shame and guilt and punishment and oppression. And so God is for the caretakers. God is for the peacemakers. God is for those who love him so much, they show that love by how they treat people. That's how we're supposed to act. That's what I think these parables are telling us. And I think there's a pretty strong warning here for self-righteous people who know all the things that God has said and yet don't take the effort to prepare themselves for his coming. And they don't take the effort to invest their talents like they're supposed to. And when, they're spo when they give an account, they say, well, I didn't really do anything. And they're the kind of people who don't care about people. And only care about their own righteousness. And may have all the, the, the words of scripture memorized and put in their hearts. And yet it's done nothing to transform them. We are to care about people. We are to be ready for God's coming by caring about people. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.